All right, let's get our Bibles and turn to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 5. As you know, we are in the uh, 11-month look at the life of Jesus, and we're looking at a lot of his teachings, and right now we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we have landed on this one passage of Scripture where we're going to talk today about lust, sexual immorality, and adultery. Yay! All right. So, (laughs) back in 2011... Uh, my wife Amy and I were invited to Chicago to be part of a planning session for the Exponential Church Planting Conference. Exponential is the largest church planting conference uh, in the world, and it uh, every, comes every year to Orlando, Florida in April and to Los Angeles, California in October. And so Amy and I had just written a book uh, on ministry healthiness called It's Personal, and um, so we were invited to be part of this planning session. And as we got into the conversation with all these other ministry leaders and network leaders, um, we were involved in putting the speaking schedule together, what the topics were going to be and who was going to speak that year. And so we were racking our brains about what needed to be spoken about. The, 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 the theme of the conference in that year was going to be ministry healthiness. And so um, we began to put a lot of ideas up on the board. This whole wall this, in this conference room was full of just sticky notes. Well, the wives, there was probably about eight or nine of them, decided that they were going to go out to lunch. And so the guys kept working. We brought lunch in. And uh, one of the topics that we landed on was the issue of sexual immorality because it's, a, it's an issue that a lot of pastors deal with. And uh, so as we got into talking about who would speak on all of the issues, a number of these guys looked at me and they, and they said, why don't you and Amy speak on sexual immorality? And I thought, well, and I said, well, that's not our issue. That, that's not what we deal with. I mean, most of the time when speakers speak on topics at this conference, they're speaking on something they're an expert on or something that they have a lot of background on. And I'm going, I don't have, this is not our deal, you know. And I'm like, please don't make me speak on this. And, uh, and they say, yeah, but you've had a lot of church planners that have dealt with this and, you know, some high-profile things that have even happened in your church. And so, we, you know, we want you to speak on this. And I'm like, mm, can't wait for Amy to come back for lunch. Well, Amy came back from lunch, and so I explained to her, you know, as the ladies sat down, we said, okay, so we've decided that we're going to speak next year with our wives. And so Amy goes, well, what topic are we doing? And I said, sexual immorality. And she goes, that's not our issue. What, what, we don't, that's not the deal, Brian. I don't, I don't want to speak on that. Well, we ended up speaking on that in front of about 6,000 uh, church planners, people in ministry, and their spouses, in 2012, and I'll tell you at the end of the service how that landed. But I want to take you now to Galilee, the region of Galilee. Jesus is about six months to a year into his earthly ministry. As you know, he's about 30 years old. He's preaching on a beautiful hillside, and in the crowd are his disciples. There are people who have been following him or have heard about him in the region of Galilee that have gathered on this hillside. You also have the the Pharisees and the scribes who were the the, the, the Jewish teachers of Old Testament law. And he's been creating quite a stir because he's claimed to be the Messiah, but he's also raising the bar on Old Testament law. And there's a lot of confusion about what he's talking about. Well, last week, if you were here or if you had a chance to listen online, Pastor Paul shared with us how Jesus, in last week's passage, he shared, listen, you know, you've heard it said that in the Ten Commandments, do not murder. But I say... Anyone who is angry at his brother or whoever talks poorly about his sister is in danger of being judged, is in danger of judgment. 
Now, why would Jesus say something like that? Well, because the Pharisees were all about flaunting their righteousness in front of people. They were all about outward actions and appearances, but their hearts were dirty with pride and self-righteousness. So, so this is what the people of the day were taught. If, if, you, if you want to be right in, in the eyes of God, don't murder someone. Okay, that goes back to the Big Ten. And about 99.9% of, of the people would say, man, at least that's not my issue. At least I'm not a murderer. But Jesus cut right through the pride and the religious arrogance by just going straight to the heart of the matter. And he said, you know, you may have not physically murdered someone, but when you are angry at someone or you slander them, you're just as dirty as someone who took someone's life. It's the same thing. It's all about the heart. Being right with God is a matter of the heart. And I'm sure when Jesus said that, there was probably some stirring going on in the crowd. There was probably some whispering. Can you believe he just said that? I can't believe he could teach like this. These people had never heard anything like that before. But Jesus was not finished because just in case he missed someone with his little talk about anger, he goes for the rest of the crowd. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he begins to lay out this whole teaching on lust. And here's what he says. He says, you have heard that it was, that it, that it was said you shall not commit adultery. And again, a large percentage of the crowd may have just thought, man, I'm good because that's not my issue. At least I'm not an adulterer. And then Jesus says this, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, that pretty much covered everybody in the crowd, didn't it? And it pretty much covers all of us today, especially us men, including the guy speaking up here on the stage. But how in the world could Jesus compare lust to adultery? I mean, how could he say that, that these two things are now to be looked at as the same way, in the same way? They, they have equal weight. Well, Jesus was making it very clear that he wasn't interested in outward righteousness. He wasn't, all of, he wasn't even remotely about someone flaunting themselves so that everybody could see how moral someone else was. He wasn't interested in religion. He was interested in the heart because, again, being right with God is a matter of the heart because it's in the heart that sin begins. It, it's, it's in the heart that anger turns into the action of murder. It's in the heart where lust leads to the action of adultery. And even though you can't physically see what's going on in the heart, if your heart is full of lust, it will be judged equal, equally with adultery or any other type of sexual immorality. Now, adultery may not be your issue this morning, but the struggle with lust is very real. And maybe no one else knows that you're struggling with it except for you and God. Because you've been able to, to hide it for years and years, but, but, you're, but as you hide it, you're just filled with guilt and shame, and, and you know it's just a matter of time before maybe you're exposed, and your heart's in a, in a bad place, and what you need this morning is you need a rescue. Some of you have given up on being rescued by this issue. You're just like, I, it's just my lot in life. I'm always going to struggle with this. Don't, don't let yourself get to that place. Because a rescue is available. Listen, Jesus didn't just call out sin and then hang his listeners out to dry with this issue. And listen, he's not calling out sin this morning and leaving you to be hung out to dry with it either. He presents this problem as a major problem and then he presents himself as the solution to the problem. What Jesus was targeting on that day and what he preached in this sermon is the same thing that he's targeting today as he speaks to us. He wants your heart. 
He's not impressed with our religious behavior to try to please the crowd. He is. He's interested in capturing your heart because if your heart is right, you will obey him. You will walk faithfully after him and you will live a life that is full of peace and contentment. That doesn't mean that you're not going to face temptations, that things aren't going to be thrown in, in your way, but you will live a life of victory if your heart is his. So Jesus raises the bar here and he says, listen, you can't do this without me. You can't conquer anger without me. Now you can't conquer lust without me. You need a Savior. Because if you could, if you could obey God in your own strength, what would happen? We would end up self-righteous and prideful. We need a Savior. Well, I'm going to dig in a little deeper to this topic today because I want to, to create some understanding about what Jesus is talking about. What is lust? Lust is a sinful illicit, uncontrolled sexual desire. And according to Jesus, it's an issue that begins in the heart and then grows from there. It turns into to actions. Now, I have a lot of conversations, and I've had over the years with a lot of men, young men, about this topic. And I want to try to bring a little bit of clarity as to what falls into the category of lust. A lot of guys in particular just beat themselves up with guilt and shame if they even notice an attractive woman. Okay? They, they just, they'll just hammer themselves. They, they walk around with just unnecessary shame. Listen, there is nothing wrong with noticing or glancing at someone that you find attractive, regardless of whether you're married or unmarried. Okay? The look that Jesus is talking about here in verse 28 is not a casual glance. What he's talking about all right, is the stare with the intent of lusting. That's the problem. It's, it's, the, it's not the look, it's the look back. It's the checkout, all right? It's, it's, it's all about the, this look for the purpose of feeding an inner sensual appetite. If you have wandering eyes and you can't stop looking, and it's with the intention of lusting, then it's an issue that reflects something that is broken in your heart. Something's busted inside there. Something is, is, is dysfunctional. Now, let me connect this further with today's culture. You're not responsible. When you, when you go online and you see these little clickbait pictures that just, you know, things that are put out there and you go, it's kind of like they're going, here, open me, open me. You wait till you see what you're going to see. You're not responsible for all that when it shows up into your Instagram feed or your Twitter feed. It's when you click on that picture to get a closer look with the intent of lusting that it becomes your issue. You're not responsible for all of the sexually, sexually charged racy ads on Snapchat. And I realize most people probably over 30 are going, I have no clue what Snapchat is. But it becomes your problem when you open it up for the sake of feeding your sin nature. All right, let me dig in here a little further. Ladies, when you post that picture of yourself in a bikini on Facebook, it may be innocent on your part, but this is all about intent. What is happening in your heart when you post that picture? Be wise about the stuff you're posting and the things that you're wearing. Here, here's a strong warning. And this is for men too. Romans 14, 13 issues a strong warning from the Apostle Paul about causing other believers to stumble or to fall into sin. Again, it's about the intent of your heart. We have a responsibility to be wise in the way that we dress and with the things that we post online. We have, we have a responsibility to think about the well-being of our brothers and our sisters and Christ and our young adults and our children to not cause them to fall into sin. And the Bible doesn't mince words when it addresses this issue. Now, I've actually had people say to me before, and I've heard it said to others, well, it's not my fault if so-and-so has a lust issue. I'm going to post whatever I want. And I would ask you to check your heart. 
I would ask you to look at your intent. And I would ask, just ask yourself, with whatever you dress, however you, whatever you post, am I displaying the love of Christ to the person that is trapped in this issue, or am I so prideful that I just don't care? Am I, am I being used by Satan to cause other people to stumble or to fall into sin? Here's a fact. Jesus calls lust a matter of the heart that is sexually immoral and adulterous. Now, I don't think that I need to convince anyone here, hopefully not, that adultery is wrong, but this is an issue that a growing number of people don't really have a problem with any longer. And yet it's been scientifically proven to be one of the most destructive issues in society right now, and it's the issue of pornography. I want to put some stats up here on the board, uh, on the screens. I I could fill, I could talk all day long about these stats, I mean, fill up more and more screens with them, but I just picked out a couple. Approximately 72% of U.S. men view pornography at least monthly. The stat is 64% of Christian men. That's growing every year. 79% of men 18 to 30 view pornography monthly. 88% of men 18 to 30 have viewed pornography before the age of 16. 36%. Now listen, there's a lot of stats that show this number in the 70% range. But I went with the lower number. 36% of women 18 to 30 view pornography at least monthly. The number of Christian women viewing, viewing pornography is 15%. 61% of women 18 to 30 have viewed pornography before the age of 16. Now, why am I using these lower numbers? Because I know, listen, a lot of parents, they think, no, no, little Johnny's just in seventh grade. He's never seen pornography. Oh, I bet he has. Little Susie, she's just a girl. She's in sixth grade. She's never seen pornography. I bet she has. Studies say that she has. Percentages say that she has. Go to the next slide. Here's the effects. Lots of effects. I just picked out a couple. False sense of intimacy in, in, in relationships, in a marriage especially. It impacts the brain in similar ways to that of a drug addict. 31% increase in sexual violent behavior when you are looking at pornography. We begin to look. Now, th- I put this in here. We begin to look at the opposite sex as an object rather than a sister or brother in Christ. When you see a good-looking or attractive woman to you coming towards you, or same with, with, with ladies, and you're looking at a man, you see them as an object of sensual desire rather than a brother or sister in Christ. Hmm. Next slide. Here's some additional facts. 80% of men and women do not have an internet filter on their phone, tablet, computer, etc. to block pornography. 54% of adults say that viewing pornography is not wrong. Just one out of ten teens say that their friends think pornography is wrong. Teens and young adults rank not recycling as more immoral than viewing pornography. We have a problem. And since a growing number of people don't see anything wrong with lust and where it leads to, I want to this morning, if I could, make a biblical case for why it's wrong, and I want to present to you the sobering cost of allowing lust to control your heart. First of all, Jesus and the Bible call this a sin. In, one, in this way, it is a sin against God. 1 Thessalonians 4, look at, the, look at the screen for a moment. Verses 3 through 5 and 8. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the people of Thessalonica in Greece. He says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. Then each of, you will contr- each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. In other words, this is a sin that causes you to be out of God's will. 
And I know in this service we have a lot of students. I want to just speak to you more than ever. You need God to be directing your life. You need need to be in the center of his will. You need to be traveling in the stream of where he's going and where he wants to take you. You you want to know that his hand is on your life. But verse 8 says that if you reject God's word on this issue, not only are you out of his will, but you are actually rejecting him. Now think about this for a moment. This is a heart issue that actually stacks up a wall against you and God because it's a sin against him. This is an issue that that will leave you powerless in your prayer life because your actions are actually saying, God, by my participating in this sin, I'm rejecting you. So how do we stay in God's will? How do we stay under God's hand? How do we keep keep the, the prayer lines open so that our lives are powerful? Holiness. Choosing to be holy. It's also a sin against the person you're lusting after and their spouse. Apostle Paul continues to write in verse 6, he says, Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Now, that's about as straightforward as it gets right there. Don't have an affair with another man's wife. Don't cheat with another woman's husband. Don't lust after another woman's uh, husband. Don't lust after another man's wife. Because when you sin against that person, you also sin against their spouse. So if you're lusting after someone who is single, you're still sinning against them. You're, You're sinning against their future spouse. And this applies to people you know and even people you don't know. Now what does that mean? It means the people that you're lusting after that are online. That person that's on the screen that may be enticing you to come in and look at them, that's someone's daughter. That's someone's son. That's someone's spouse. That's someone's future spouse. And Paul warns us, the Lord avenges all such sins. This is a sinful thing, and it's a serious matter. It's a sin against your husband or wife. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. In other words, this is a sin that breaks trust in a marriage. And listen, it it is rarely completely healed. I've watched a lot of couples get through this, but it's always there, most all the time. I've had couples tell me before that they've introduced porn into their marriage to try to spice things up. Oh, listen, not only is that disastrous to the trust in your marriage, but all the sin rules apply to that. Here's another thing. It's a sin against yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a person, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. This is the only sin in the entire Bible that is described as a sin against yourself. Why is that? Well, Because sexual sin has this way of destroying a person from the inside out like no other sin. It's a sin that has a huge appetite that is never satisfied. No matter how much you feed it, it is never fulfilled. It has a bottomless stomach. It lies to you. It entices you. And then it lures you in. And once you've given into it, it just beats you to a pulp with guilt, shame, and emptiness. That's what it does. Now, for about the last five or six years in my daily uh, Bible reading time, I've been reading a psalm a day and a proverb a day. So for the last five or six years, I've been reading the Proverbs through about 12 different times. And when I get to Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7, I, I am greatly reminded 
of the dangers of allowing your heart to lead you down into the pit of sexual immorality. I mean, it's like just someone, when I, when I read what Solomon writes to his son, it's like someone just punches me in the face and goes, you don't want to go there. And I want to tell you, I have sat across the table, unfortunately. It's why we were asked to speak at this conference on this topic. I've sat across the table from too many men, too many church planners, too many pastors, too many women who, who have fallen morally And what I'm about to read to you from Proverbs chapter 5 is exactly to the T what happens to a person that is trapped in this sin. This is King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived in the Old Testament. This is his advice to his young son. And and in verse 1, here's what he says. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. And then Solomon gives his son a sobering look at the cost of, of lust and sexual immorality. He says, first of all, it is a trap that will always deceive your heart. He says, for the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is as bitter as a poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. For the first three years of my ministry experience from about 88 to 91, I was a, a student pastor in a little town in Pemberton, called Pemberton, New Jersey, about 60 miles from the beach. In New Jersey, they call it the shore. And so I had a lot, we had a lot, of, a lot of friends who would drive in from the bay or from the beach who would go to our church. And because I was single at the time, I used to love to get invited to their house for, for dinner because they always had great seafood. And one family in particular... I loved going to their house because they would catch fresh blue crab and then we would cook it and eat it and it was just amazing. And I would get to go crabbing with them. And I don't know if you've ever been crabbing before, but it's, it's pretty simple. You just get a cage that's set up to trap crabs. You put some fish stuff, fish heads and other fish parts in there. You just drop it down off the dock and you just walk away and it does its job. That, you, you can sit there and look, and these, you, can just, you can actually see all the crabs, and they're going around the caves, they're looking at all the fish parts in there, and eventually they find their way into the door, and once they get in that door, what they don't realize any longer is they're not getting back out. And they don't even know it. They're just so happy that they are getting to munch on a fish head. And yet, what they don't realize is in about five or six hours, they're going to be on my plate. That door has led them to death. That door, even though they've been enticed and they have lost their senses, they have, they, every, every, every consequence has gone out of their little tiny fish crab brain, all right? They're in there and, and they're, 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 that is leading them to death. Same thing with this issue. It's also a path that leads to disaster. Look at verse 5 and 6. Her feet go down to death. Her step, steps lead straight to the grave, for she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. It will cost you, this next thing, it will cost you your honor and all that you've achieved. Verse 7. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor, you will lose to merciless people, all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth, and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. I cannot tell you how many pastors I have sat across who have confessed immorality, adultery, pastors' wives. They lose everything, everything. It will cause you to live in regret. Verse 12. 
In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the, the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructions? Solomon says, at the end of your life, in deep pain, you will look back on this issue with deep regret and wish that you had listened to the advice of your teachers and your parents and your pastor. And it will lead to humiliation. Verse 14, I have come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. Almost every person I've ever spoken to who walks into this sin is being deceived and lied to. Their heart is deceiving them. There's a false belief that they'll do this and get away with it. And the end, the result will be totally different than anyone else who has ever gone down this road. They believe that they're going to be the one person in all of the world that will get away with this. And in the end, it's going to work out great for them. Years ago, I remember asking a a pastor friend who was actually older than me who had built a fairly large church, had a a pretty predominant name, and uh, he fell into an affair. And I remember asking him, I just, how could you allow yourself to have an affair? Knowing the consequences, having dealt with so many people who, who, who have fallen into this and knowing where this all leads, how could you have fallen into this kind of situation? And here's what he said to me, and I will never forget this. He said, I thought that because I was getting away with it for so long that God was giving me a pass, a free pass, that somehow or another because I was in ministry that that I was getting away with this, that God was letting me get away with this sin. And yet when it was exposed, he lost his marriage, he lost his kids, he lost his church, he lost everything, everything. And today he sells insurance. Nothing wrong with selling insurance, but that wasn't God's plan for him. How can we have victory over this? Because I know in a room this size, there are are men in here that are struggling with this right now, and you feel trapped in it. You've almost thrown your hands up in the air and said, I I just can't win. There's women in here. If statistics are are a growing number of women, that this is an issue that's just ruining your heart. I mean, just burying you. How can we have victory over this issue, over lust and sexual immorality? Number one, first of all, recognize that you have a sin issue. One of the biggest things you have to do this morning is just to realize that this is an offense to God with big consequences. This is a sin against the other people that are in your life. It's a sin against yourself. You're you're truly a Christ follower. Listen, you're walking through life out of God's will disconnected to his power. You're out of fellowship with Jesus. You're actually grieving the Holy Spirit because now you know it's wrong and you continue in your sin. One of our guys in the first service, he, he said, before I, was, uh, before I was a Christian, I didn't even know this was wrong. I didn't really care. All my buddies, we didn't care either. He said, the moment I came to Christ, he was like, all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit convicted me. I knew it was wrong. And he said, God's given me power and victory over it. W- once you're able to recognize you're this sin issue, here's what you do. You repent and receive forgiveness and grace. What does repent mean? It means to change your mind. Change your mind in such a powerful way that it actually changes your heart. It means, it, mean, it, it, it says to God, God, you were right, I was wrong, this is a sin, plain and simple. No more excuses, no more pointing fingers, no rationalizing. I changed my mind. I'm wrong about this. And then once you do that, you let God's forgiveness and grace just wash over you and clean your heart. You say, how can God forgive me, especially when I continue to struggle on this? I repent of it, and then I just go right back to it. 
The cross provided the forgiveness in his grace. Jesus, when he was on the, listen, when Jesus was on the cross, he took your lust and he put it on his shoulders. He took your pornography, he took your sexual immorality, he took your adultery, and he put it on his shoulders and he paid the penalty for the sins of that sin. He made forgiveness possible through his grace. He made victory over the sin possible as a result of his blood. And so today, just know that God loves to forgive and restore. That's his business. That's the business he's into today. He wants to release you from the shame you're feeling and the regrets that you have in your life. He wants to wipe the slate clean in your heart. And so if you, you, you sin and you repent and you go right back to this and you just beat yourself up, you just, listen, keep going back to the cross. Keep going back to the cross. Keep reminding yourself that this is not God's plan for your life and he has victory for you. And allow yourself to receive God's forgiveness this morning. And then, number three, at all costs, remove the cause of your sin. Now, I want you to look at verse 29 of chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 for a moment, because Jesus continues, and he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, does that mean that if I'm, if I'm struggling with lust, that God literally wants me to take my right eye out and throw it away? I mean, pluck it out. Or, or that he wants you to, to cut your hand off and get rid of it. Well, believe it or not, in history, there are people that have actually done that. Please don't do that. Okay? Let me tell you what's going on here. Jesus is speaking very pointedly but figuratively about how to have deliverance from this heart sin. And in Jewish culture, the right hand and the right, the right eye represented a person's best and the most precious body parts. And so the right eye represented your best vision. The, the right hand represented someone's best skills. And Jesus is saying, listen, we need to be willing to give up whatever is necessary, even if it is our most cherished thing, our most cherished possession to protect us from this sin. That may mean, for some of you, you have to shut down Facebook. Or you have to defriend the person that you're messing with on there right now. That may mean that you have to delete Twitter or Instagram off of your phone or your Snapchat account. That may mean donating your computer to, to a nonprofit like Goodwill that could put it to good use. We've got several nonprofits. We will give them your computer after we wipe all the history clean. If that's your issue, all right, cut your right hand off. That means for some of you, you might have to go back to the flip phone with no internet. Oh my goodness, back to the 90s? If this is your issue, cut it off. That may mean breaking, it may mean breaking up with someone today. Maybe saying goodbye to a bad relationship. It may mean that you have to move to another part of your office, move to another department. That extreme, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Whatever you have to do, Jesus says, do it. You don't want to pay the cost. You don't want to pay the price. It's too steep. And then he says, rely on God's power and strength every day. Every day. I want to encourage you to fill yourself with God's word and with prayer. Why? Because you have to renew your heart. You have to renew your mind. You've got to starve out the sin. Literally choke it out and replace it with prayer and God's word. King David, who had a history with lust and adultery, he said in Psalm chapter 119.11, he says, I've stored up your word in my heart, Lord. It's in there. I've hidden it so that I might not sin against you. What does that mean? Every day. When you struggle with something, you pray Scripture right back to the Lord. 
and you pray something like, Lord, lead me not into temptation. What does that mean? It means, Lord, I don't even want to deal with temptation today. You'll give me strength and power when it's there, but Lord, I'd rather just not even deal with it. Just keep it away from me. Why? Satan will flee when he hears Scripture thrown against him. And I want to challenge you to go, uh, to, go to war against this because Jesus is teaching that this is a serious matter, a matter of life and death. He mentions hell in this passage here. It, 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 if it's, it has become an addiction or a stronghold on your life, choke it out. If it's just too powerful, then get some help. Request help. We have, we have a ministry here that's been going on for a few years called Walking Free. If you're a guy who struggles with this issue, lust, pornography, sexual addiction, we have a group that meets here some, sometime in the week. And if that's what you need, get honest about this. Talk to one of our, of our pastors. Rodney Hunt's our pastor of care. He will get you connected to that group. Yeah, but everybody will know. Nobody knows who's in that group. We have people from other churches that come to this. We have a group for women who, whose husbands are trapped in this sin called The Journey. And they meet together just to encourage each other, to, to pray and to pull for their husband. If you need counseling, we have great professional resources for you that will help you to break through this. We have some online resources that are available. We're going to put this all on our, on our, our website, westridge.com slash care. But if you don't have a filter on your phone or on your kids' phones or on their computers, get them today. 15 bucks a month. That's too much. No. That's McDonald's for two people, right? It's totally worth it. My family, we all have every electronic device we have. If I were to type up porn or something like this, it would block me, and it would send something to my wife. Brian's been looking at porn. I don't want that. Okay? I don't want that. You don't want that. My boys, I, I threw it out to them. They're, I mean, they're 18 and 22. I said, guys, we're going to do this. They said, count us in. Dad, we want to be accountable to you. And so every once in a while, you know, something will happen. You know, they're going to ESPN, this or that, and it just flags it. And I'll call my guy, hey, guys, good? Yeah, Dad, I was checking out basketball stats, and it flagged it. I don't even know why. Okay, just praying for you, man. Isn't that, we need to encourage each other with this, hold each other accountable. Here, I just, we just came up this past week, 21 days to Easter. If your issue, if this is your issue, why don't you say right now, for 21 days, I'm going to starve this thing out. For 21 days, I will, I will not look at porn. I will, I will go to battle in my mind, to, to, to train my mind with the power of God in my life, to look at women as sisters in Christ, to look at men as a brother in Christ. I will, I will do everything I can for the next 21 days. What's 21? Easter. Easter's all about the power of the cross, the, the power of the resurrection. Well, what do I do after I get through Easter? Re-up for another one 21 days. 21 days is scientifically known to give you victory, to create a habit in your life. Let's go to war against this. Do whatever you have to do. And then finally, refocus yourself on Jesus. When Jesus spoke on these sin issues, anger and lust, ultimately he was saying to the people that were listening to him, and even the, the people he's speaking to now, us, he was saying, listen, just as the Old Testament law was impossible to keep, it just pointed to your need for a Savior. He said, I'm raising the bar on these things now. Why? Because I want to show you that you can't do any of this in your own power. You still need a Savior. Because if you could obey God in your own strength, we would end up self-righteous and prideful. No, you still need a Savior. 
We need a Savior this morning. We, we need Jesus, and he's available to you every moment of every day. He, he gave his life so that we could have victory after victory after victory over lust and sexual immorality. And when your heart is set on him, he just gives you that. He gives you victory after victory over issues like lust. And th- this sin, like every other sin, It was defeated on the cross. The power to walk in victory is ours this morning because of the empty grave. So guys, ladies, students, kids, you've not been hung out to dry here. All the power we need is right at our fingertips. It's, it's, It's ours in our relationship with Christ. I want to tell you what happened at the end of this conference. Amy and I got done speaking. Like we, when we speak together, it looked just like that. She was sitting here, I was sitting here, pouring our hearts out about purity, sexual morality. Got to the end of this, we had a confessional time. And I looked around this huge auditorium and there were couples praying with each other. People were crying. Couples were confessing the sin to one another. These are ministry couples. 54% of pastors struggle with this issue. And there are couples to this day that Amy and I still communicate with who confessed to one another that this was their issue and they've had victory. And we still talk with them. There was a big SOS tent set up outside the the worship auditorium and the counselors that were in there said they were overwhelmed with the amount of couples that came there and said, we need help. My wife just confessed an affair to me. My husband just confessed his porn addiction to me. Help us. If pastors and ministry leaders are are willing to do that, I would ask that you'd be willing to do that today. That you get honest about your life, get honest about your struggles, tell someone. And listen, ladies, don't walk away. Men, don't walk away. Fight. Fight for your marriage. It's worth it. Dig in. It may be painful, it may be hurtful, but dig in. Because everything you need to walk together in victory, you have in Jesus. Dig in. If your kids come to you and they confess something to you, don't throw them up against the wall. You say, oh my goodness, let's pray. I will stand with you. I will pray for you. I will help you cut off the source. I will do everything. Because I'm going to walk with you into victory. Because victory is yours. I'm not going to shame you or guilt you. You already have enough of that on your heart. You've been dealing with that for too long. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to walk with you through this. Bow your head today. Oh, Lord, help us to be grace givers, but help us to be honest about our sin. Help Help us to realize, Lord, that there is a trap that's been set and the bait is enticing. And yet it's a trap that leads to death. It's a pathway that leads to death. May we lock arms together as the body of Christ and fight for one another in prayer and support. We want to be in the center of your will, Lord. We want to be in the center of your blessing and your power. We want to be in fellowship with Jesus. We want to walk strong through the darkness of this world, Lord. Would you give us that strength today? Help us to be honest. Help us to be grace givers, Lord. if, If someone in this room is willing to confess and willing, willing to get honest about this. May you, Lord, help us to, to look at each other, not like the Pharisees, Lord, but look with love the way Jesus looks. 
and say, I'll, I'll fight with you. I'll fight with you. Even this hurts me, I'll fight with you. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never asked him to be your savior, today's your day. The power's there, but it starts with receiving Jesus as your personal savior. Pray with me. Lord, this very moment, I put all of my faith in you. I change my mind about my sin. I repent of my sin. I need your forgiveness. Lord, grace has given that to me today. What Jesus did for me on the cross is enough to save me. Lord, I receive that forgiveness, that new life, that fresh start. I receive that into my life right now. Lord Jesus, would you be my savior? If you just prayed that, we're gonna have counselors on both sides of the steps. If you need help today, we'll have counselors on both sides of the steps. If you wanna go out to the help center and give them a card, we will contact you and follow up with you. Lord, help us today to walk in victory. We love you. Thank you. Lord, you have not preached anything to us without making yourself the solution. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.